Welcome back to Inside Asia. I'm your host, Steve Stein. I know I've been relentlessly flogging the corporate purpose theme these past few months. I'll be honest, I can't help myself. It's a big part of what I do these days. But more importantly, and I mean this, it's a topic that simply cannot be ignored. If anything, COVID-19 has shown us that we can no longer rest on our laurels and expect things to get back to normal. People and planet are suffering in new and terrifying ways. There's a major role to be played by corporations and a purpose agenda is the first best way to make a difference. That means paying new levels of attention to all stakeholder groups and not just shareholders. Customers, suppliers, the environment, communities, and employees in particular require new levels of investment and support. If you're a business leader, you might say that's a tall order in the midst of a pandemic and economic crisis, but the reality is you don't have a choice. Those that get ahead on this will be the employer, provider, and corporate citizen of choice. The others will fade away, dinosaurs of an era long past. This week, we tackle the subject of inclusion. Here to help explain is my guest, Jane Horan, founder of The Horan Group, a strategic consulting firm focusing on organizational inclusion, diversity, and purpose. Before inviting you to listen to our conversation, a quick word about our sponsor, Quilt AI a mission-first technology company that helps large organizations use the internet more purposefully. It's looking to reverse fractures in society and generate empathy while helping organizations understand their consumers and beneficiaries much better. They give time and money to causes they care about and in service to people and planet. Inside Asia is pleased to be associated with Quilt AI. For more information, do check them out at quilt.ai. Now here's my conversation with Jane. Jane Horan, thank you so much for joining us on Inside Asia. Thank you for the invitation to be here. Let's talk inclusion. Hmm. Okay, so I got into inclusion probably about 10 or 15 years ago, and I worked in what I do believe is probably the most diverse and inclusive organization in the world, which was the Walt Disney Company. And um, then I started exploring this a little bit deeper across cultures and across gender. So that was probably about 10 or 15 years ago. What's changed? I think we're seeing a huge shift now. Like there was a big focus on diversity. There was a big focus on categories. And, and I do think in the beginning we needed to have that. But what's happening now is a shift towards inclusion. And also I'm seeing more a shift towards equity. So you'll see people having in their titles inclusion, equity, and diversity, or diversity, equity, and inclusion. And a shift away from kind of um, focusing on one group to looking at the intersectionality of how these alt groups cut across each other, and inclusive leadership. Is that by virtue of the segmentation of the way people self-define or self-describe themselves? In other words, um, is it impossible to keep carving this up in smaller and smaller pieces in order to address all of the unique inclusion issues? Or is it something else that's going on where there's more of a fluidity, a, a moving across these different categories uh, that requires a different approach? I think we definitely need a different approach. I don't know how successful we've been. Look, I think we put diversity and inclusion and equity on the on the map, and I think people have a lot of awareness. I don't think it's possible to keep carving it up into these little groups, and, and what I've seen, and particularly, so if we talk about Asia, Japan, Korea, India, say Hong Kong, is a move towards moving away from categories. To some extent in Japan, I saw employees saying, 
look, I don't want to be put into a category and particularly the category that you want to put me in. Mm -hmm. And so there is a move towards fluidity and a move away from these categorization. But for listeners who may not be entirely familiar with this concept of inclusion, can you break it down a little bit for us? What are we talking about? Inclusion within the organization, inclusion as a minority, a gender, or, or some other unique capability or skill. What do you mean, or what does the s- sector mean by inclusion? You know, I guess it's better to answer it in a way of which I think the shift is happening to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and 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 that is that everybody has the same opportunities, or we're giving the same opportunities to everyone. A lot of organizations, um, particularly in uh, Asia Pacific, but globally, will have different categories. Like we'll focus on gender, or focus on LGBTQ, or focus on um, different ethnic groups. But um, it's it's ensuring that everybody comes to the organization. We embrace the strengths, the unique strengths that people come to the organization. Everybody has an opportunity to achieve success how they define it. So that's how I would define inclusion. Mm. What would be the indicators that suggest that inclusion is not being practiced? Ooh. But it's a great question because I think that organizations are grappling with that now. Like, how do I measure inclusion? Um, There's a feeling that, um, I guess, I don't want to answer with being excluded. So I think it's engagement scores. I know it's engagement scores and I know it's attrition rates that you look at that. And then you have to do some digging deeper into that data to find out why people were leaving. Why should companies beyond just doing the right thing care about inclusion as part of everything else they have to do? You know, there's lots of data on this, but I don't have the research, but I, but look, it does drive better ideas and innovation and productivity and loyalty. Um, There's a ripple effect with it. So that's why they should care. There's also this movement, uh, which this podcast pays attention to, which is around corporate purpose. Mm. And increasingly, particularly the younger Gen Gen Z uh, millennials are starting to uh, explore and think about who they want to bank their time with. Which type of organization do I want to be affiliated with? Um, The fact that you've got a track record with positive inclusion or aspects of inclusion is going to be a good decision on part of a corporation when it comes to recruiting and retaining people. To what degree are you seeing these, uh, these, these opportunities arise here in this part of the world? I think that I know that, so I don't separate purpose and inclusion. I think they're definitely linked. So an organization that's purpose-driven, typically that's aligned with values. Typically you look at the values as about respect, integrity, giving people opportunities. Um, I started seeing this about 10 years ago, <laughs> but actually I think it's really hit it on its head after Larry Fink uh, spoke at the World Economic Forum about being purpose-driven. Uh, Paul Pullman is a great example of a purpose-driven organization. I would even put Starbucks there. Howard Schultz runs a purpose-driven organization. And so I think it just has a ripple effect and it's across the world right now being more focused on um, what's our purpose and what are we doing mm-hmm. as an organization. Yeah. When, it, when I speak to executives in this part of the world, oftentimes the corporate purpose agenda is linked to or attached to sustainability and environment. Uh, yet the undercurrent, the thing that keeps popping up, in fact, I would say in many cases, one of the lead issues is human capital and how we manage and engage and inspire 
our employees, particularly in a time of COVID, where there's so much change and so many challenges, um, a lot of organizations are using this, the employee stakeholder group, as their focal point for building purpose agendas. Are you seeing something similar? So I'm seeing something similar, but a little bit different. So when organizations go to to purpose-driven, they are focused on the environment, sustainability. There is an emphasis on employees, but I think you have to look at them separately. So I can come to the organization and have my purpose. It's my individual purpose. And if I join an organization that has someone aligned, then that's the ripple effect. And organizational purpose is much bigger, and it does include the employee in that, but... It's a funny thing. The purpose can only be driven by an individual. Can only be defined by the individual. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say to you, "Okay, Steve, here's your purpose, and here's what we're going to do for you." Mm-hmm. I can have my corporate purpose, and you join, and definitely, there's probably alignment there. Yeah, it, it, this wasn't part of my recruitment, uh, you know, conversation <laughs> when I was young. I mean, I I was happy to have a job and a paycheck, and I certainly wasn't thinking about inclusion or being heard or understood or having my interests met or any of that. I was just, you know, thank you for hiring me. Why is this a bigger concern now than it was 30 years ago? Yeah. um, So look, how I got into purpose is I started interviewing leaders across from Japan all the way down to Bangladesh. And I focused on women in leadership. And when I was doing this research, this element of purpose kept coming up. At first in my dissertation, I wrote about spirituality, but when I started digging deeper, it was purpose. I'm a qualitative researcher, so I didn't, I couldn't quantify, I couldn't say, oh, this is it. I found other research by a group called Imperative, um, New York University, and LinkedIn that did this survey and found that millennials and women were more purpose oriented. So that would leave people outside of that age group. Um, so I think it is a shift in what's happening in organizations, and definitely COVID has brought it right up to the top, but it's a different generational issue mm. um, where I'm, like you said, when I, I'm happy to have a paycheck, and right. but now it's bigger than that. Yeah. So so in, in what ways are um, millennials and, and, and women, are they being heard? Are, 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 do they, have they found voice within these organizations? And to what degree do you think companies are positively responding? If an organization says, here's what our purpose is, and I'm not feeling that or seeing that, then I'm going to voice that. So I'm seeing a shift to the employee's voice. And I know we had a consumer's voice, the client's voice, but now it's a more holistic voice. And the employee's voice is being listened to, and particularly in the time of COVID, like a Gabriel Marquez book on that. Mm -hmm. But um, um, and, And so that employee voice is really listened to, and there's people will walk with their feet and and they'll talk about it on social media, which you can see in a lot of the tech firms and they don't agree. Which in some ways is kind of surprising and interesting too, because you would think um, in this time when um, risks are high, uh, companies are paring back in many ways and and cutting back employees. In fact, we've seen obviously in certain industries, hospitality, airlines, others, they've lost their job, have been placed on furlough, that people would be more resistant to being open, vocal, and demanding of what they want from an organization. But um, there is some evidence to suggest, no, they're becoming quite even more vocal because what do they have to lose? I mean, this is either they're going to get the support from the organizations in difficult times or they're not, and that'll be the determining factor. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? 
I'm seeing more employees speaking out um, and and addressing the issues of when you say this one thing. So let me give you an example that I read recently that I thought was incredibly powerful and actually happened to work with this company at the same time it was happening was Rio Tinto. Mm. When there was, I believe there was an expansion into a mine, an old area in uh, Australia, and they and they this, they decided to expand the mine and both employees and shareholders uh, revolted against that. And I know that there was a talk about raising the CEO pay around the same time and there was this complete pushback on that so that's why I think the point on purpose is if we say this is what we're going to do and if we don't act in that according to that same way there's going to be more discussion and perhaps it's just social media that allows us to have those conversations yeah you may have hit on something it's the aspect of transparency Um, you can't hide anymore if you're an organization, you are exposed in terms of the reporting requirements, governance, uh, media, and now, as you pointed out, social media, anybody, a customer, an employee, a partner, uh, if they don't like what they're seeing, can say something. I remember a case where Burberry's was basically uh, manufacturing in China, and they were caught on somebody's cell phone camera burning their inventory at the end of the year in order to dispose of it. And it was a huge problem because they had declared themselves as a sustainable organization, yet clearly what they were doing was against code. Now, whether or not, you know, the Burberry management knew about it or not, who knows? I'm not sure exactly how the story ended, but it had a ripple effect. Yep. And and there was, uh, they, they did pay the price, and there was a statement that came from the CEO at one point. So I guess that aspect of once you declare that you're corporate purpose-driven and you, uh, you sign up for ESG environment, societal, and governance guidelines and, and a measuring tool, you have no choice but to be able to walk the talk or pay the price. Yeah. Is, 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 that, is that where you think this is going? And for, therefore, is that enabling and providing for more employee uh, voice than ever before by virtue of the fact that you're operating in a different, more open environment? Yes, I think that um, I, I have some concerns about ESG and purpose. I, I think it's really important to do it, but I think organizations need to be aware that they they can't just say it and play lip service to it. They have to act in that same manner. Mm. Um, e- examples of that would be in um, pay discrimination. And this is where I think that organizations need to be perhaps look a little have more transparency or be more aware of it when you've when you if you talk about equity this is a thing that gets me with equity what do you mean by equity does pay fit into that and if it does then why do we see some discrepancies in pay and i know pay is very complicated but i think you're going to start seeing more people speaking out against that and if you're not ready to have those conversations Um, I I think this whole part on ESG needs to be well thought through. Mm. And the reason why I say this is there's a a discrepancy between CEO and sort of the regular people, right? 400% in the last count that I saw. And if you're saying we want to ensure that we are just and providing for society and being equal and giving everybody equity, how are you answering to that pay discrepancy? Do, do, do you need to bring home $150 million a year, or if you're a hedge fund, $9 billion a year? It, where is that? And so I, that, I'm not so certain if that has been very well thought out yet. 
How do employees feel about that? You might argue that a leader managing in a down market successfully is as important as a leader who can generate double-digit growth, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's a hard one, you know, to look at. I I I don't I haven't seen where employees speak out necessarily on pay. Where I've seen the the ripple effect is if you say we're going to take care of the environment and then you do something against that. Mm. And then that's compounded with, "Oh, we're going to give the CEO an increase." And it could have been negotiated into his contractor's deal. That's when I see employees speaking out. So I think there's a combination with employees like you say you're going to do this, now you're not. Now you're giving this person a mm. bonus. Then I'll speak out um, but I haven't seen it where employees would ever say anything against the CEO pay maybe there's just you know it's, maybe that's just me that looks at CEO pay. right right well I, I wonder with with in, in, in this new environment um, now it's really about if, if you have to spend more time as a leader thinking about what will my employees think yeah um, and 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 I'm turning in terms of what they think about the company, how they think about my leadership, how they think about the direction we're going as an organization, our sustainability model. There's so many questions that are coming up. What would be your advice to a leader who's trying to shift from the old uh, command and control model into more of a dynamic, engaged model that's accommodating and and gathering because this is inclusion, right? It's a form of inclusion. You're including them in the future of the company and the decision-making process to some degree. Now, obviously, it's impossible to do that at every single level right down to front line, but there are things that can be done. Where, Where would you ask leaders to get started in order to make that transition? The simple, and it's going to sound really silly, the simple thing you can do is have a conversation (laughs) that matters and and, and listen. And uh, an absolutely wonderful book that I just read uh, by Fred Dutst, and his book is called um, Making Conversations or Having Seven Conversations That Matter. And he was talking about just sitting down and uh, starting with leave your values at the door and just engage in an inclusive conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, And I thought that was really fascinating. How do I leave my values at the door? But what he said is if you come in all that, you know, with your values, you're not going to listen to the other person. You've got something behind you that might be different. Mm-hmm. And the second part was just taking time to listen. And I know it sounds really simple, but I've seen rooms transform when you do this. Yeah, it's almost like we've uh, lost the art of conversation somewhere along the way. I, I don't know if it was time became compressed or, uh, you know, now 24-7, there's no off time and therefore you always have to be on. And we've just filled it up with activities instead of thought or consideration. It, it, it feels like something has shifted, even in my short life, in my sh- relatively short career. Um, you know, I, I just, I, 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 there's something that, that is missing there. Yet... Every leader who I talk to fundamentally seems to know and understand what you just said. Like asking questions is an empowering process, but very few actually live it. And and I don't know why that is. What, what do you suspect? I think as sometimes as leaders or we, we you know we think we know and we want to tell or say right. Um, but I but I I think it's just putting into practice and it's also the, you know, I've had this conversation with other leaders and they said, but if I'm asking too many questions, it's going to bother them. It's the questions. It's really, that's why I went back to that mental health and well-being. It's almost like what's working well for you today. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you think we should do this. Um, 
what's something um, I don't know interesting that you're reading. It's 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 having those casual conversations to try to get underneath what's driving that person mm-hmm. that's sitting in front of me and what are their motivations and what are their values. Did did you your time at Disney? Did did you ever have, have town hall meetings? Yes, yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- this is something that I experienced at IBM. They call them town hall meetings, but but in effect, what they were was you get on the phone for half an hour and somebody would tell you what they're doing or what you should be doing. And there really wasn't much of a town hall quality to it. They might have had had one or two token questions at the end, maybe even plants for all I know, because these were global calls or regional calls. And I remember this. And I remember every time hanging up the phone and <laughs> realizing this is pre-Zoom, you know, w- what just happened? I mean, did we have a conversation? Was there a sharing? Was anything exchanged? Did that CEO or that regional head walk o- away with any clear understanding? Or did he walk in with a preconceived idea, communicate it, get off the phone and go to task number too. Yeah. I, so here's the thing. I think those town halls, and I actually just coached uh, an executive on this. Um, she moved into a leadership role and I said, she was doing her first town hall. And I said, why don't you start with a question? Mm. And um, since then, I th- things it's had a ripple effect across the organization. So I think, why don't we start with a question like, what are we doing right here You know, at the company? And the other thing is, actually, just back to Disney, we did have town halls. They did have, they, they were interactive. So I will give Bob Iger and, and Michael Eisner credit for that. They would yeah. open it up for conversations. Yeah. It, there, there's nothing, I, I just find it, you know, obviously, you know, in, the, in running the podcast or starting out in life as a journalist, I love questions. And I, I think that the one thing I've seen now working in the leadership space is how empowering a question can be. It, it's as if you're a very senior person, you walk into a room and you look somebody in the eyes and you ask them, what do you think? Yeah. What you basically said is, I care what you think. I am now listening to what you have to say. I'm paying attention. And there's nothing more powerful than that right there. You don't have to give that person a bonus. You don't have to celebrate them, you know, across all these kind of media channels. You can simply have that personal connection in that moment and know that I've actually asked and I cared. And maybe you go on to actually do something with that answer. Have you seen that? I mean, do you notice that in some of the work you you do? And, and, And what are your thoughts about, you know, how leaders could use questions more effectively in order to get a better result? I think asking questions is absolutely like, you know, what do you think about this or what's your idea? Tell me how you think we should solve this is a good way to do it. Um, I have heard, I've actually worked with other employees where their leaders do this, where they get, they're like, I don't know how to answer that question. So I think there's a bit of buildup to that. But I, the most important part is what you just said was just taking a step back to listen. I've observed people asking questions and then they'll interrupt with another one. Well, how about this? And how about this? And you haven't given the person time to think or to answer. And I think we're all guilty of that. Like, I've got another idea. But I think it's that taking time to listen and then acting on it. Mm. So question, listen, and then take it into consideration. And by the way, this links back to purpose. Mm. This is how you can gauge. And when you talk about measuring inclusion or measuring purpose, this is how you can you can measure it. Yeah. I, I think there'd also be a warning against trying to make the shift too quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're right, if you're one kind of boss who comes in, is like, I'm commanding control, I'm telling you what to do, and you leave and you walk out, and then you come in next week with a wholly different approach, it's going to shock and disturb people to the point where I'm suspicious. You know, 100 flowers campaign, you know, I'm, I've given an opportunity to say these things, am I about to hang myself? So it, there's a shift that needs to occur. Uh, 
how would you advise you know leadership and leadership teams to start to make that change and and how essential in this time and age do you believe it is for that shift to take place because of everything we've been talking around about in the area of corporate purpose and inclusion and everything that comes with it i think it's really important i think as we're all working on zoom one of the things that we do a lot of Zoom meetings, right? 12 to 13 people. And um, I've seen and talked to leaders and I've done it myself is just start out with saying, um, what's what's on your mind today? You know, what's working well? And then go around the room and kind of hear that. And I think that, sh- that that's the subtle shift. It's not like, oh, tell me what we should do with the company because right. that's too big. But ask a question that gets to like, underneath what people are feeling or thinking and then open it up for that. And then the next one come in with... Um, uh, another question that's a little bit more than that. So I think it's a it's a subtle shift, but I think it has to be done. It, it, it seems it, it establishes trust. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There there was um, a few years ago I went through a, one of these certification trainings for coaching. I did the Neuro Leadership Institute, oh. and which which uh, is based on neuroscience and and what you can do to prepare the other person you're coaching to be more receptive and open and prepared to share and discuss. And it was just that. It was like, begin with, how are you? Or what's going on in your life? Or tell me something that you're involved in. Or what did you wake up thinking this morning? It's almost like um, disarming in in a good way, right? You disarm somebody so that they're not prepared to answer the question. They're simply prepared to share. Yep. And, and, and that fundamental idea and what we know about the brain and what we know about human condition and human behavior suggests that if leaders could just think about doing that as part of the practice of opening a meeting or opening a gathering with a bit of an informality, you might fundamentally change the outcome. Would you agree with that? I think you fundamentally change the shape of the meeting. And I've seen where it's happened when a leader will start with, uh, I'm just going to call it an innocuous question, you know, um, what's something positive that happened to you this morning? And and I've seen a leader say, I had a great cup of coffee. You know, it could be something as simple as that. And as if you do that around the room, it, it changes. You can feel the difference as you're sitting in there. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that's the best way. And, and I would also say, once you build this trust, there's other questions that you can ask. Because I was sitting back, you know, listening to our conversation um, one time I was coaching a leader and he was having a, I wasn't certain about somebody on his team. And this leader was a leader who talked a lot. And I said, you know what, why don't you turn and ask that person? This is a tough one. When was the last time you thought about leaving? Hmm. And it just, um, and he told me the next time I met him, he said, I asked and I was floored because hmm. that person said right now. Because of the question or yeah, because I mean, because somebody had something, asked? Something was going on with yeah. that person. That's why he felt something was going on. Yeah. He wasn't certain and he asked and, and the person said, well, yeah, last week I was thinking about it. So by virtue of doing that, did that break Absolutely. the barrier? And they were able to then have a real conversation about yeah. what that means. Broke the barrier. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that everybody can do this because it is kind of a, 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 a difficult question. Broke the barrier have that person open up to them mm. and say, um, and then, then, you know, tell me a little bit more why, what's going on. And, and, it, and it opened up the conversation and the person stayed. Mm. You, you know, Jane, of course, the elephant in the room on this subject is time, <laughs> right? So you, you, all of this takes time. And in our busy lives and busy executive lives, it's, it's the one premium. And I just wonder 
to what degree it's possible for people to make these behavioral adjustments as leaders in this new paradigm, this new shift to a different corporate way of operating in order to give the time to things that seem less rote and less empirical and more EQ focused. What do you, what would you say to somebody who says, I'm just, I, I'm, I just don't have the time to do this. How would you, how would you coach or guide a leader on that subject? I completely agree with you, but I also think it's an excuse that we hide behind. Mm -hmm. I've coached a lot of leaders who perhaps are very detail-driven, results-driven, and don't want to let go of those results, and I don't have time and I need to prepare all these things. I think you need to look at what you're doing. Um, You know, managing people, we all love to be talk to and heard and listened to. And I think you just have to make the time, but you don't need to make it like, you don't need to go on and on and on. Like sometimes we say going around the room and asking one question, you can actually limit that and say, look, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to answer this right right, at a meeting and we're going to get on with the meeting. And even that short pivot or that short, short amount of time can open up a meeting. So I think I, I find that as a time as an excuse. It sounds, it sounds like an interim step is just setting the tone. Yeah. Setting the tone. So up front, at the end, in between, was I heard? What's the follow-up communique? Um, just to let people know that um, you thought it went well or you, you're asking, did it go well? Right? could be a, something as well. There just seems to be tactics that could be applied versus a full-blown strategy in the realm of employer-employee communication. Yeah, tactics and practice. And sometimes we say the word tactics that we want to make it authentic too. You don't want to just say, okay, tell me this. And so I think you have to build, I've actually worked with leaders who are uncomfortable doing this. And Mm -hmm. so you have to kind of build into it and get comfortable in in asking those questions and and be authentic because the worst thing to do is to be kind of robotic in it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I I would use the word practice. This is a huge subject. There's so much more to talk about. Um, I want to circle back with you in a few months and see where you are on this whole issue of inclusion, how we're progressing uh, in this part of the world. Um, And I thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. That was my conversation with Jane Horan, founder and CEO at The Horan Group. Workplace inclusion, I'm discovering, may be one of the simplest ideas, yet one of the most complicated to enact. There's no single answer. Every employee and each situation require the one thing that we have the least of, time. There is no sense of inclusion if a leader won't take the time to probe and find out what employees care about most. Adding insult to injury, a shockingly high percentage of corporate leaders assume their employees are aligned with the company's vision, mission, and goals. Not necessarily. In the past, any utterance from the rank and file or disagreement with management could have career-limiting consequences. Oh, how things have changed. These days, failure to test those assumptions on a regular basis can result in employee rebellion or even worse, disengagement. An employee who leaves a company because he or she no longer agrees with an organization's mission or ethos is one thing, but an employee who stays for the paycheck but doesn't participate is downright cancerous. Disillusionment is a disease. It can infect the entire organization if not careful. Traditionally, all kinds of methods are employed to get to the bottom of what the workforce needs and wants most. 
Employee satisfaction surveys, performance reviews, town hall meetings, and analysis of third-party platforms like Glassdoor all play a role. Measuring these responses are no less complicated. Some employees respond openly. Others are more guarded. Some are biased by groupthink. Others have unrealistic or irrational points of view. What's a business leader to do, you ask? Quick answer, give time and pay attention. Still not convinced. Here are a few data points liberally copped from a recent Forbes article. For instance, and I quote, a Gallup's employee engagement poll found that organizations and teams with higher employee engagement and lower active disengagement perform at higher levels. For example, organizations that are the best in engaging their employees achieve earnings per share growth that is more than four times that of their competitors. Four times! Got your attention now? Or how about this? With respect to employee retention, a Deloitte Insights 2020 Global Marketing Trends report found that purpose-driven companies had 40% higher levels of workforce retention than their competitors. Diversity is important too. According to Harvard Business Review, companies with above-average diversity have 19% higher innovation revenues and 9% points higher EBIT margins. The same report goes on to say that when Fortune 500 companies were ranked by the number of women directors on their boards, those in the highest quartile in 2009 reported a 42% greater return on sales and a 53% higher return on equity than the rest. The evidence is incontrovertible. Purpose, it appears, pays. And inclusion is at the heart of it. So next time you gather your leadership team around the table, how about spending a little less time on cost models and sales forecasts and more time exploring ways to engage your employees? And by the way, do it for the right reasons. Do it because you care and not because you just might profit from it. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here on Inside Asia. Please share this podcast and others with friends and colleagues. We're nearly 180 episodes in, and all our conversations are available free of charge. All you need to do is subscribe by searching for Inside Asia wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we introduce a new topic or trend that shows how corporate purpose, sustainability, and 21st century thinking are stacking up to guide Asia's future. Prefer reading to listening? Then subscribe to the Inside Asia newsletter. Visit us at www.insideasiapodcast.com. Leave your name and email address and start receiving weekly updates that highlight key points from the discussion, provide links to additional insights and articles, and reference earlier podcasts on related subjects. As always, we thank you for listening. Thank you.